Good morning. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackley. And Greg, I promised myself last night, don't do what you did Sunday night where I stayed up until 11 o'clock watching Olympics. Well, I, I, I kept that promise. I stayed up until 1030 watching Olympics. <laughs> it's intoxicating. It's addictive. The snowboard half pipe was uh, was on the, the docket last night. And uh, yeah, I... I Mr. T has been tweeting about this, about the Winter Olympics a lot. <laughs> Wait, Mr. T? Mr. Yes, T? like I pity the fool. He, he tweet, was tweeting about how he now loves curling. Fantastic. And, uh, and one of the things that he said kind of resonates with me too, and it resonated in the previous of the Summer Olympics about how watching all these athletes kind of makes him feel out of shape, like he needs to get up and do something. <laughs> well, now you know how I feel on Jets nights. Yeah. I intend to go to sleep. I try to ignore what's going on on the television, and it's just about impossible to do. And uh, so welcome to my world a little bit, and I'm proud of you for coming (laughs) around on the sports thing and uh, tell you who's coming around big time after losing their first game. Caitlin Laws and John Morris are absolute on fire, and they are ahead of Switzerland 8-3 to in the gold medal match in the mixed doubles curling. As you've been hearing, Christian O'Mell is at the St. Patel Curling Club uh, gathering there to hopefully celebrate uh, gold medal for Manitoba. Born John Morris and proud Manitoban Winnipegger Caitlin Laws. It's been a very exciting match and I uh, give a shout out to uh, my boys at home. Alexander was up, set his alarm for five o'clock. Wow. Didn't want to miss a single rock. He got up, Brendan got up a little bit later, but they're both at home watching right now. So boys, good on you. They were at the uh, the trials in Portage La Prairie and really have fallen in love with this version of a sport that they love very much. But it seems as though they may be alone in that or they're not the, uh, there are those that are wondering about the legitimacy of this sport, including Jeff Courier and one Toronto star writer. Yeah, there's a, the headline on this particular article is Canadian curlers believe new mixed doubles event will sweep the nation. And this was written by someone uh, by the name of Rosie DeMano. And the first thing I want to point out in, was pointed out to us by our colleague down the hallway Philly, who is uh, from the morning show at Power 97, and he says, did you read that article from the Toronto Star where the, uh, the, the, the author refers to Caitlin Laws as a waif? Yeah, And nice. the quote is, Morrison Laws, a 29-year-old waif from Winnipeg who looks like she barely weighs a stone, and I'm not entirely sure, and Phil said, Does that, how is that relevant? to the story. Not relevant in any way, shape, or form. And I have a feeling that if she was positive about mixed doubles curling, she wouldn't have referred to Caitlin Laws in that fashion. So it kind of re-emphasized that there's a negative tone around this. And uh, uh, Rosie DeMano says she covered curling once upon a time and says she doesn't understand the love affair with this sport and also quotes Jeff Stoughton, John Morris, and Caitlin Laws and assumes and and reverse engineers their comments to suggest that the reason they feel that mixed doubles curling will be popular and sweep the nation is because it's less curling. Because it's less curling. That is in less time spent? Less time, two less curlers, less time on the ice, less time watching. And she thinks that's an odd way to frame a positive 
like they're trying to do and suggest that this is going to be the next sport. But, I mean, this this is realism. This is realistic uh, change in terms of a sport that's been popular in Canada for well over 100 years. Uh, people don't ha- like golf. People don't have the time they used to have. Uh, people have a hard time getting a foursome for golf. Well, you need eight people to have a curling match. Well... With mixed doubles, you need four, something couples can do together. It only takes about an hour and a half to two hours to play a game versus three hours for an actual full curling match. So this is is something that I think is brilliant in terms of catapulting, pushing the popularity of curling forward. I would love to hear from you. Are you enjoying the mixed doubles? Do you like this rendition of the game? 204-780-6868. And you mentioned the golf. I, as, as how it's hard to find a foursome, show and save. There's always tons of coupons. Shanalee Vidal actually was very gracious and already she went into her show and save and gave me all the golf coupons, very pages nice. and pages of them. But I rarely get to use them because more often than not, it's uh, three pay for your three green fees and get your fourth free. And I almost never golf in a foursome it's either it's usually a twosome maybe three if i'm lucky and often i just go out by myself uh, because i can't even find us uh, someone else to go with right the economy of that game in terms of owning and operating a golf course changed dramatically in the last two decades uh going out and golfing has changed big time for people so i think it's fantastic that uh, canadian curling and canadians have caught on to this version of the sport my kids absolutely love it and i think you're going to see a lot more of this i don't think it's a fad at all this is it, I, it reminds me of when snowboards first came onto the scene a lot of ski hill said no snowboards not allowed to use your snowboard yeah. on the ski hill. This is a ski hill. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of them recognize the errors in that way and in that train of thought. So uh, good on uh, Canada. Good on Caitlin Laws and John Morris. They're up 8-3 as we head towards the uh, end of the sixth end. Yeah, I don't know much uh, about curling, but uh, I do know that I have enjoyed watching the mixed doubles. And you made a comment this morning, and I don't. you said, I'm not used to seeing curlers sweat. Is that not not a common sight in a typical curling match? Curling has become much more athletic in the last decade, to be sure. The Mark Jacobs rank uh, and John Morris in particular kind of led the way in terms of cur- curlers becoming athletes, working out in the gym. But yeah, I've never seen curlers. They typically do not sweat Buckets. We've seen the Swiss skip go to the towel a couple of times, or the the, the male uh, side of the Swiss team go to the towel a couple of times. And John Morris is forever out of breath. Mm-hmm. So it is uh, very interesting to see. That's a different side of the of the game for sure. Well, we're going to check in at the Saint Vitale Curling Club in a moment. Global News reporter Christian O'Mel is there to watch to with the gathering who have come together to watch Canada take on Switzerland in the gold medal final of the mixed doubles curling at Pyeongchang. The St. Patel Curling Club is open this morning as fans have gathered to watch Caitlin Laws and John Morris win the gold medal in mixed doubles curling. It just finished while Greg was reading the weather. Global News reporter Christian O'Mel is live at the St. Patel Curling Club and joins us now. 
Christian, good morning to you, sir. Yes, Brett, just about a minute ago, just a giant cheer erupted as Canada wins gold in mixed doubles. I'm joined by St. Fatale Councillor Brian Mays. And Brian, I guess worth it waking up this early, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, it's, uh, it's a great club here, and they really really support the uh, their teams. Pretty competitive match at the start, but then Canada just completely blew them out of the water. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was much less tense than the semifinal, which I watched the other night. So no, yeah, they uh, made the big shots. So that's Caitlin Laws' trademark. So uh, came through today. Seeing her win gold medal here, how proud are you? And how proud do you think Winnipeg is? We got to find more room on the mural that we got painted on the side of this club four years ago, and that's that's a good problem to have. I think no, it was a great match. I mean, it's uh, this is uh, pretty much the center of the curling universe. I think Winnipeg. So yeah, great moment for, for Saint Vital and for Winnipeg. What hey, do you Christian. think of the? Oh, hold on. Yep. Yeah, yeah, Greg. I just uh, wanted to, to ask uh, Councillor Mays if if uh, he's going to be proposing uh, some honorable uh, mention in terms of uh, of uh, Saint Mary's Road or something with uh, Caitlin oh. Law's Way or something similar because this is our host. This is, uh, this is exciting to know stuff. If you're going to rename a road after Caitlin Laws now. Well, I was thinking about that because well, we got uh, Jennifer Jones Park, we got Jill Officer Park, so uh, maybe I think we might have to look for a park. Uh, for Caitlin Laws, because that's uh, that's really something what she's pulled off. She's got two now Olympic medals, and you can hear the crowd behind us here. Talk about what the the passion of this curling community is in Winnipeg. Yeah, it's a great club. You know that guy curled here, my dad curled here, my sons curled here. It's a great uh, great part of the community. He's been here for decades and uh, still going strong. So I mean, it's a great moment, and uh, they're good at celebrating things here. So uh, pleased to be part of it. All right, Council Brian May, thanks for your time. Hey, thanks very much for coming out. Right. There's Councillor Brian Mays and Greg. Just a, a really dominant performance by Caitlin Laws and John Morris against Switzerland. And yeah, the crowd woke up early to come and get donuts, get coffee. And then right before I was coming on with you, Switzerland missed a shot and it looked like there, look, there was a slight cheer and then a huge eruption. I turn around and they're shaking hands and that was it. And Canada's a gold medal in curling once again in mixed doubles, the first ever. And Obviously, this place loves their curling. I'm looking around, seeing so many trophies on the wall. This is actually the first time I've been to St. Fatal Curling Club inside the building in my couple of years here. And I got to admit, it's, it feels like I'm in a shrine to Manitoba curling here, Greg. It's a little bit of a mecca, to be sure. You got 20 seconds here for an editorial on the mixed doubles. Do you think this is a form of the sport that is going to become popular across the country? I think it could. I think it's just a matter of getting people to try it because you've got ice time available for four people teams. Do you just split that up when you've got kids going out and just to try the two people? I'm not sure, but I think people will watch this on TV. They'll see that Canada won and they say, hey, I got to give that a shot. All right, Christian Amell, thank you so much for joining us live this morning from the St. Fatale Curling Club. And you mentioned these are their second medals. Caitlin Laws was third for Jennifer Jones' team that won women's gold in 2014. And Morris was vice for Kevin Martin when they took the men's team title in 2010. And mixed doubles curling is making its has made its Olympic debut in Pyeongchang. We are going to Pyeongchang, South Korea, to another proud Winnipegger, proud Manitoban, David Graves, who's with the Israeli bobsled and skeleton team. And uh, David, uh, I know you haven't been watching a whole lot of the other events, but I know you'd be super proud and and thrilled uh, to learn of Caitlin Laws and John Morris uh, winning a gold medal for Canada just minutes ago. I'm I'm glad I... I called uh, 7,000 miles to get that news from you. That's great news. I'm very happy to hear that. David, got to ask you, before we ask you about anything else, 
talk about I, I talk about walking into that Olympic Stadium for the opening ceremonies uh, about five days ago yeah. now. Uh, what an experience that must have been for you. Yeah, it's, it was incredible. I mean, just uh, what was most incredible was just the whole organization behind the scenes. There were just thousands and thousands of athletes all lined up in their respective uh, behind their respective flags and just sort of corralled in. And then when you sort of walk outside and you're the next one to step on the track, it was, uh, and you can see the whole stadium in front of you and your flag in front of you and you get to walk out. I said to someone the other day, I just wish we could have walked around that circle three or four times because it went so quick <laughs> um, that, you know, it was just something you would have liked to relish for a little bit longer, but it certainly was uh, uh, a dream and a highlight. Uh, I won't uh, forget uh, as long as I'm living. Yeah, David, one of the things that you, that I, that I noticed with these opening ceremonies and, and previous opening ceremonies in recent years is many of the, the people that come out have their phones out so they can record the moment. Um, did you have your phone out so you could capture it from your perspective? I actually did. You know, before I left uh, my kids' school, uh, the Gray Academy of Jewish Education, it's our Jewish day school, they had asked me if I'd do any live, uh, if I could do some live broadcasting from the games uh, whenever I could. So I, I've done a little bit of that posting to their website um, from the flag raising ceremony a few weeks ago, a few days ago, sorry, where every nation gets to see their flag raised in the Olympic Village um, and a few other things. So while I was uh, about to step on, I flipped open my Facebook and, I, and for some reason I couldn't connect. So I ended up just uh, shooting video of walking in. So I've got a really cool video of about a minute and a half of just walking at the back of the line of all the, the Israeli team and uh, trying to get as much of it in and posted it to the kids website, the, the, the school website on Facebook. Um, and yeah, I've got a little bit of uh, a little bit of video to sort of remember that. Um, and, you know, it's one of those out of body experiences where you, you sit down in your seat after you've walked You've walked in and you can't even remember how you got to the seat. So the the uh, the video I took it will help refresh my memory as uh, as uh, as that moment sort of just flew by. You know, this is going to be a, a dream to come true for a lot of athletes just participating in these games. And then you get the medal winners who have dedicated uh, their lives, uh, long amounts of time of their life to to get to this point in time. You, you've been working at this for 15 years. Uh, does it feel as good as you imagined that it would, Dave, to, to finally be there? It's an incredible thing. You know, just I flew, I flew here uh, arrived here on the 6th, and sitting in front of me all the way were uh, uh, Tessa Virtue and Scott Boyer, and, and the whole plane was full of CBC and Team Canada. So it was a really, that even just getting on the flight from Toronto to get here was exciting, and I had a chance to interact with some of the athletes and, and the media, just uh, kibitzing and enjoying, enjoying the fact that we're heading to the Games. Um, to be honest with you, being here and, uh, and, and sort of being focused on our sport, as I said, I, I went to one skating uh, event a few days ago because the Israeli uh, team uh, was skating. I have, it, you sort of don't feel very Olympic when you're sitting when you're in, when you're in the village and you're preparing for your event because you get up, you review, review video, you go for lunch or, or breakfast, you go to the track and four or five hours later you come back to the village, you have dinner, 
your review video or whatever else you have to do, and then you kind of do it all over again. Uh, and, you know, not even watching TV, I haven't really been aware of what's been going on. So from that perspective, it's kind of um, almost anticlimactic because we're really just focusing on our event. Um, but I'm super excited about our event. Um, this is obviously the biggest show in the world in terms of uh, sporting events, and this is what every athlete wants to achieve, and that's getting to the game. So um, that's that's an amazing thing, and I can't put words to that. Uh, and then following our event, I will have a couple extra days here, and uh, we'll get a chance to go out and as do the Olympic thing and cheer on my other uh, the other athletes and go see some events, um, and that will probably feel a little bit more Olympic than it does right now. And of course, at the event itself that we're competing in, once we get there and you see everyone around there, and it's and it's a serious game face, um, you'll feel very Olympic at that moment as well. I'm sure. David Graves is in Pyeongchang, South Korea. He is a Winnipegger, and he's with the Israeli bobsleigh skeleton team. Now, you're uh, you're skeleton athlete adam edelman uh but how has he done in his uh training heats he's he's done well fortunately he's he had a chance to be on this track about uh a year ago at the end of last season um there are some athletes here that um have not been on this track so um although it's a different track you know the conditions are different um he's had a chance to at least uh, have some runs prior to being here uh, and, and sort of you dissect the track in different pieces. So you work on one part of the track and then the next part of the track and the next part of the track. And by the end of your training runs, you hope you've dialed in the things that you have to do on all the corners. And uh, and then you come to competition day and you put it all together. Um, so I would say we're pretty pleased so far with, with how we've done. Um, it's already competitive. You know, people are watching the the, the finishing times during uh, training, um, which not not always indication of how things are going to go, but it's uh, pretty quick and there's some guys throwing down some pretty uh, high speeds and, and good downtime. So um, it's getting pretty serious uh, and we're still... Uh, two days away from competition. Well, Dave, we'll be watching very closely to see how this goes for you, and uh, I promise we'll be in touch again. 9.45 in uh, South Korea, 6.45 here in Winnipeg. We appreciate your time, David, and uh, best of luck to you and Adam as you uh, make your way towards competition. Uh, I guess we'll be on Thursday, yes? Yeah, Thursday our time, Wednesday early evening your time. We're uh, Yeah, I'm going to post on my Facebook page the actual time so people can check it out and um and hopefully watch and cheer we will be doing just that david thank you so much for this thanks guys have a good day we're already celebrating we're <laughs> celebrating by 6 30 this morning what a, you know this is the upside of having the Olympic Games on the other side of the planet. Kelly Moore joins us now. Normally we have coffee and and talk about a variety of different topics, but hey, it's a special morning. Winnipeggers, I you know, I still think of John Morris as a Winnipegger. Winnipeg born John Morris, Winnipegger Caitlin Laws, gold medal champions in the mixed doubles curling. Uh that they shook hands uh, just before 6:25 this morning, Kelly Moore. Yeah, it was uh it, it was not even as close a game as we thought it was going to be uh, Caitlin and John Morris just seemed to find their game after that opening loss to Norway and never ever looked back winning eight in a row and on the line with us we have Jill Officer who is one of Caitlin Law's usual teammates one of many Winnipeggers Jill are we safe in assuming you are one of many Winnipeggers who got up early today 
Yeah, you bet. The alarm was set, and uh, we got up to uh, to watch the entire game. So where did you watch this morning, Jill, and just walk us uh, through the the anticipation and then the eventual excitement of, of seeing John and Caitlin accomplish this goal for themselves? Yeah, I, I watched it from the comfort of my uh, my own home on uh, on my couch in my house coat. <laughs> Good <laughs> for you. Pretty to be to be up, and I thought about going to St. Vital, but uh, you know, with a young daughter at home, and got to have her up eventually. And uh, well, she's up now, but to get her ready for school and stuff, it was uh, yeah, it was just nice to kind of sit at home and watch it and cheer them on and kind of follow things on social media and uh yeah just to and see her family there and stuff it was pretty exciting jill that fourth or third end rather the four on the third end obviously the key blow but whatever was ailing caitlin in the semifinals against norway boy i'll tell you did she put that to the back hack <laughs> for this morning yeah, you know, I watched her post-game interview and she talked about just wanting to enjoy the moment and uh, I think that was probably key for her today. I know her and I have uh, talked a couple of times about how, you know, we always wanted the chance to play better in the gold medal game, you know, after maybe not performing our best in Sochi. So I was really proud of her for kind of staying in the moment and, and going out there and, and, and playing really well to finish off the event. Of course, you just mentioned Sochi, a gold medalist yourself, Jill, along with Caitlin and with Dawn and with Jennifer. You you can relate to the excitement that Caitlin experienced today, but is that the key? Is that the difference between winning and losing in a lot of cases? Is that ability to not think too far ahead, to just kind of be in the moment and then allow yourself to celebrate when hands are shook? Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, we talk a lot about just enjoying things and being in the moment, and it's really, really hard sometimes under the circumstances to, uh, you know, uh, block out the distractions of, you know, in this case of, of the Olympics and everything that that comes with it. So, uh, you know, obviously I think they're, uh, both John and Caitlin's experience of being there before and being in that situation would have would have uh, contributed a lot to them being ready to play so well today. Jill, obviously the athletes deserve all the credit. They're the ones on the ice making it happen. But I just want to throw a little bouquet uh, for another Winnipegger who has done an absolutely incredible job of getting Canadian curlers ready for this uh, discipline of mixed doubles, and that's Jeff Stoughton. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Jeff's been huge in the program when Canada is uh, still you know, somewhat new to uh, to the discipline of mixed doubles. And, you know, we don't, our, you know, our top players have been playing it, but not to the same extent as some of the, the doubles uh, partners from other countries. So, uh, you know, Jeff, uh, with all of his experience and uh, knowledge and strategy, I think probably contributed, because mixed doubles is so different, I think that probably contributed a lot to the success of, uh, of John and Caitlin. And, uh, you know, his experience in coaching Reed and Joanne at the, uh, at the Worlds last year, just to get Canada into the mixed doubles Olympics. So, uh, you know, I think he, you're right. He's, uh, he's a huge uh, contribution and a huge reason why Caitlin and John were able to win gold today. Uh, Jill Officer, you're part of one of the most decorated curling teams in history with Jennifer Jones. You're going to be competing at the Worlds again coming up in North Bay. You've won a lot, but I'm curious to know what does it feel like to win the medal versus winning at the Scotties or winning at the Worlds? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, you can't really deny it. It's certainly certainly a little bit different. I mean, the, the Olympic stage is just uh, so much greater, so much bigger. 
Um, there's so much more attention on it uh, than, you know, from around the world than what we get uh, at the Scotties and, and things like that. But having said that, you know, in terms of other amateur sports, curling certainly gets a, a ton of uh, attention and, and stuff. So, I mean, it's always um, – it's always an honor and a, and a pleasure, obviously, to win a, a championship. And, you know, for Jen and I, particularly this year, winning our six was, you know, just crazy, crazy to think about. But the, the Olympics is just different. And I'm super glad that, you know, we've had the opportunity to experience that as well. And, um, you know, we're pretty fortunate to have experienced everything we have. In, in curling. This mixed doubles version of the sport, Jill, a lot of conversation around that, whether or not this is a fad or something that is good for the game, will it endure? What's your take on this version of the game you love and, and play so well? Yeah, I, I really enjoy it and I, I've enjoyed really I've enjoyed playing playing it. Um and I think I've you know, I've really enjoyed watching it too, but of course having played it perhaps that's a little bit different. But um my sense is that people have loved it, you know, it's uh, a little bit unpredictable and I mean we even saw in, in Caitlin John's game today they were up what, five and they almost gave up five. <laughs> You know, if it wasn't for uh, for John and Caitlin making a couple of really nice freezes in that one end. So uh, it's just not over until you actually shake hands and mix doubles. Uh, it, it's pretty crazy. So I think it's very entertaining in that way. There's so many more rocks in play, and it just happens so fast, and it's fast-paced. Uh, and so I think so far to me it seems like it's been pretty well-received. Well, I would think, uh, Jill, just as we wrap up here, uh, if there's a chance uh, for this particular discipline in curling to help, you know, curling, uh, get a few more younger people playing. That's what it's all about. I think then it'll have done its job, and the gold medal today certainly won't hurt. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be huge for mixed doubles in, in Canada and, and, like you say, for young people because – uh, as we've seen, across, uh, like in other countries around the world, they maybe don't have enough people to field a four-member team. But if you have a man and a woman, it, you know, uh, you ha- suddenly you have a team. So I think that's maybe the case with some younger people too. If maybe they can't find a, a full team or something, then uh, all you need is one other person, and suddenly, you know, you're competing. All right, Jill Officer, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Jill Officer is one of Caitlin Law's teammates on the Jennifer Jones curling team here in Winnipeg, and we're talking about the gold medal victory for Caitlin Laws and John Morris, 10-3 over Switzerland this morning in the mixed doubles final. We want to talk about something that's a little special to us. Uh, admittedly, there's going to be some bias on this one. Without question. Uh, but you know what? You and I, I think, come from this at a, from a very genuine point of view. Yeah. Today is World Radio Day. And as a treat, we have some audio from the CGOB Vault. Now, you can't find this online at CGOB.com on the audio vault well, I guess actually you could. Now you can. <laughs> Technically, you could because <laughs> our friend in Vancouver, maybe you've been listening to his show overnight on the shift with Drex. He featured this little nugget of 680 CGOB history that goes back 40 years. I wanted to play this I because we're on the Magnificent Seven uh, right across the country. 640 Toronto, CHML uh, Hamilton, CFPL in London. Uh, we've got uh, CHQR in uh, Calgary. We've got 630 Chet in Edmonton. We've got CKNW in Vancouver. But we also have 680 CJOB in Winnipeg. 
And I and I was because I was I was going to get classic radio from all of our radio stations, and it's kind of tough. It's kind of tough, but I did find some very 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 cool stuff uh, from CJOB. Can I play this? This is you'll you'll hear some you'll hear some like things that say, "Hey, this is six eighty CJOB." But then you're going to hear um, their morning guy, who was the morning guy back in 1978. His name was Red Alex. Have a listen to this. This is Blake Broadcasting Limited. 1340 on the dial. CJOB, the station that's working for Winnipeg. CJOB. Good morning, neighbors. This is Chuck Cook inviting you to smile. Darn you. Come on, smile. Here is the latest news from the wires of British United and Canadian press. Good morning, beefs and bouquets. I have a bouquet. Good morning, beefs and bouquets. Am I in the air? Yes. Uh, I think people should eat more at home instead of the restaurants. The bigger the banquet, the rougher your food is handling. <laughs> Come on, people, start doing your own cooking because restaurants for the birds. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you must have got a bad meal, that one. All right. You're listening to beefs and bouquets on CJOB as we go quickly back to the phone yes, line. It's one yes, or 30 yes, above. Good morning. Uh, indeed. Uh, uh, Red Alex. Yes. Uh, how would you like to have the middle name of Rufus? What? How would you like to have the middle name of Rufus? Capital R-U-F-U-S. -S. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How would you like that? I don't know. For Christmas. Daddy, even if I had one. All right. <laughs> That's what I think is a conservative. Okay. Okay. Right on. Bye. We love you. Good morning, beefs and bouquets. Yes, uh, many consumers would like to know what has been happening to the milk that was left over Saturday night. All the quarts of milk, is that milk being dumped and the cost being passed on to the consumer? Perhaps you or Peter Warren could tell us. We'll find it's out. Very, very interesting. Now, the follow-up comment here from Drex made me chuckle because he's clearly coming at this from the perspective of an outsider. So, I, from what I'm getting from, and maybe there's someone in the Winnipeg radio market that can weigh in on this. I'm assuming that Beefs and Bouquets was kind of like a uh, get it off your chest segment where you could call in and have a bit of a, a gripe about the government of the day or the, I don't know, the quarts of milk from Saturday nights. <laughs> I love when Drex throws in those Aussie terms, ones that we don't necessarily use all that often in Canada, but we know what they mean. Yep. Have a little bit of a gripe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he pegged it, more or less, right? Yeah. But Beasts and Bouquets, that was clearly a montage of a variety of different moments from the history of 680 C. B. And we think we might even have heard Hal Anderson chuckling in the background. Well, I think what happened is, if I had to put money on this, I think that was a montage that was probably created by... Kevin the Lizard Wallace, who used to be the technical producer for Charles Adler before he uh, became the program director, and he's now uh, in Lloyd Minster, I think. Um, but I think he put together a montage, and then Hal probably played it on the air. So that's why we, because he he was definitely laughing in the background. So I don't know what year that aired on CJOB, so we'll have to reach out to Drex and find out where the heck he dug that up from. No kidding. So some great history there on this World Radio Day. And like I said, uh, Brett and I uh, always consider ourselves uh, listeners first. And Brett, I apologize for speaking for you there, but I know how you feel. And uh, that's how we've always viewed ourselves. Uh, no matter the role that we've played here at 680 CJOB, we, we are listeners first. And uh, we love connecting with you and, and beefs and bouquets. I don't know if there's anybody that that is over the age of 40, maybe 35, anybody in Winnipeg that was born here and was raised here, if you just went up to them and said, be some bouquets, 
they would know exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, and indeed, the listener first stuff. I mean, we we deal with that while we're walking down the hall. I'm walking into the kitchen, which is right beside the Power 97 studios, to fill up my water, and Philly and Joe are going on about how uh, they're making jokes about Philly for uh, Valentine's Day tomorrow. He's going to rent Man on Fire on Netflix and uh, buy his, uh, his bride uh, a Boston pizza, heart-shaped pizza, and uh, maybe a cheesecake. And I just started giggling. Because I love radio, and that's that's it's just those moments for me that that I take away from it. I remember listening to Hal on Power ninety seven when Hal would really start laughing and he'd start pounding the table. You knew how he was having a good time because he could barely can keep his balance, so he started hitting things. Yeah, that's the stuff that I remember. Well, and it's our honor to uh, be here in this time slot and to be able to connect with you uh, in new ways now. Greg uh, Mackling at cjob.com, or you can just go gmac at cjob.com, brett at cjob.com, or on text as many of you are doing right now. Bring it back once a week. Love beef, beefs and bouquets. Uh, 780-6868. You can always connect with us via text. That noise, that sounder as we call it in the business. Happy World Radio Day, by the way. This gold medal Tuesday, it's time for Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Well, CFL free agency begins in less than three and a half hours. That's at 11 a.m. our time. And as of right now, there are still a number of Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the quote-unquote pending category that GM Kyle Walters of the Blue Bombers is trying to find common ground with and keep the team under that ever-omnipresent salary cap. That group includes all-star defensive back T.J. Heath, Canadian defensive lineman Jamal Westerman and Jake Thomas and linebacker Sam Hurl. But late yesterday afternoon, Blue Bomber fans got a little bit of a surprise. The Blue Bombers were able to negotiate a one-year deal with defensive back and punt returner Kevin Fogg, a genuine fan favorite here in Winnipeg. He's to the 25, he's around the corner, the 30, Fogg the 35, the 40. He's to center field, the BC 40. Fogg, the 35, the 30, the 20. He's gone for a touchdown. No penalty flags, unlike last year when he had four called back. Kevin Fogg finally has won. That counts. Yeah, you know, first year had, you know, had four that didn't count. So now get to put together a year of, of everything counting. So it'll be, it'll be a fun, exciting year. Um, more than anything, I'm glad to be with my boys again, um, and so it'll be a, a great and fun um, journey yet again. Well, how are you looking at this third year, Kevin? Now that you've had a couple under your belt, um, if you had your preference, would you do less special teams and more starting in the backfield, or do you kind of like your role on the team as it has evolved? Um. The great saying, the more you can do, um, I'm a competitor, um, and so, um, and I'm a team player, um, and, and of course, I would love to do so many great things to contribute to the team. Um, I'm just looking to find my spots, find my place, um, and be used where uh, I need to be used, honestly. Hey, yeah, uh, just uh, on a side note, uh, now that you're going to be back, are you going to uh, work with some of those kids at St. Paul's again this year? Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. 
uh, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they would. Uh, some of the coaches there I've actually been talking to, so uh, we'll definitely see um, how things go, um, and just uh, move forward from there. You didn't hire them to be pounded on Kyle Walters' deal, uh, chanting "We want fog, <laughs> we want fog." Then, <laughs> you know, I. Uh, not that you're willing I to admit to them first. So, <laughs> <laughs> going into negotiations, I had a contract and deal with them first. So, um, yeah. those are my guys. <laughs> right, right on. You bet. Hey, um, as you look ahead, uh, I'm sure, like many of the other players, you've been following along with who has re-signed and who has been added to this team. Every guy that's pl- uh, going to be wearing blue and gold must be absolutely amped about how this team looks for 2018? Yeah, um, you know, the the organization has done a great job um, and they continue to do a great job and I'm sure it will continue. Um, I'm just putting together the best team to, I mean, make us very likable to win the Great Cup. So um, that that should be every team's goal, but I'm loving um, what has transpired and everything from the bombers and, and, and what, what's going on within our organization. I, I guess if there's one thing, Kevin, when you do look ahead to this coming year, and I know this is going to be a, a bit of a sore spot, but I have to bring it up because it was so prevalent, especially in the, in the last game that you guys played against Edmonton, but cutting down mm-hmm. on those explosion plays, those absolutely have to uh, be a priority. I would think for you and the rest of the guys on that defense. Yeah, um, you know, we we were exposed a little bit, and so now we know what we have to do. We know what we have to focus more on. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very sure that the organization is, um, putting, like you said, like we just talked about, putting together the best type of team, best type of offense, best type of special teams, best type of defense um, to make us. Um, very likable of just doing what we're supposed to do, um, getting the wins, and uh, getting this great cup for the, the city of Winnipeg. That is defensive back and punt returner Kevin Fogg, who put his pen and put his name to paper on a new one-year contract, uh, basically 24 hours before being eligible for free agency, an indication that he really wants to be here in Winnipeg. As mentioned, uh, Blue Bombers that will, by all indication, hit the market, all-star defensive back TJ Heath. I know a lot of fans were hoping the Bombers would come to an agreement with Heath before today. Clarence Denmark's on that list, Canadian defensive lineman Jamal Westerman and Jake Thomas. Linebacker Sam Hurl. I, th- I think the Bombers' Brett will be going after a, a middle linebacker. That has been a point of consternation for Blue Bomber fans and really the heart of the defense. Someone that they, they could really use a playmaker at middle linebacker. And look for the Bombers. I'm hoping... Let me rephrase this. I'm hoping that the Blue Bombers will look to the West. Nick Dembski, the former uh, Manitoba Bison and Oak Park Raider, is, is uh, by all accounts set to hit free agency at 11 o'clock this morning. And I'm a big fan, a huge proponent of the idea of bringing as many Manitoba-born players into the fold uh, when they are quality players, quality people. And I'm 
got my fingers crossed that the Blue Bombers sign Nick Dembski at some point today or over the next couple days as free agency gets underway. Loving your text messages at 780-6868. Your remembrances of 680-CJOB or just CJOB in days gone by. It's Macklin McGarry in the morning on this World Radio Day. And this conversation got kick-started by our friend Drex in Vancouver, who played some classic 680-CJOB moments on his overnight show last night. We tapped into that and... Played some of that for you this morning. Brett, I think you found some more classic CJOB. Yeah, one of our listeners pointed out that there is a fair amount of vintage CJOB on YouTube, including this. CJOB would like to step back and take a look at ourselves over the past two decades. We also invite our listeners and friends to take a reminiscent look at us. You know, it seems like only yesterday when Mayor Garnet Coulter of Winnipeg threw the switch that started CJOB on its road to broadcasting popularity and success. This is Cliff Gardner speaking. And on this 20th anniversary of Radio Winnipeg CJOB, let's relive some highlights over the past 20 years. So that is the opening of an album, of a vinyl album that was produced and released in 1966. There's a, it looks like there's a six-minute video on YouTube of that. If you just go to YouTube and type Vintage CJOB, you'll get a whole bunch of hits that people have uploaded. So thank you to whomever is responsible for that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, my friend Roger Venn has a copy of that album for me the next time that I see him. So he keeps reminding me that he's going to go out of his way to drop it off for me. But Roger, I know you're busy. We'll connect on that. He found it in his record collection. And I know it's one that that we see every once in a while kicking around. So it's kind of neat to realize I've got a Blue Bomber uh, record from when they won one of the Grey Cups in the 1950s. And that, (laughs) of course, that was hosted by George McCloy or someone else. uh, a vintage or a longtime CJOB host. So uh, some really cool things uh, from the past. But we've been getting text messages on your memories of CJOB, quote-unquote, back in the day. And one of them, of course, was beefs and bouquets. But another one was something called the Relay. Yeah, that's right. And uh, Greg's going to explain that in a moment. We just want to invite you to call us with your memories at 204-780-6868. Again, you can call us right now on this World Radio Day and share some of your favorite radio moments, specifically CJOB ones. If you uh, wouldn't mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this relay, now this is something that I think may have been just before my time. Uh, but someone, we, the text simply said, relay, relay, relay. That's right. So it would kind of come across the air like this. Relay, relay, relay. <laughs> and then the host would come on the air and say, we have a message for Brett McGarry traveling from Winnipeg to Brandon on the Trans-Canada Highway. At your next opportunity, please call <laughs> home for an urgent phone call. That's Brett McGarry on the Trans-Canada Highway traveling from Winnipeg to Brandon. This has been a relay, relay, relay on CJ. LB or something like that. <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> that was very well done. And I mean, that's 
it, it seems like a silly thing to think about right now in the in the world of cell phones. Right. But it was the precursor, right? It's the equivalent of the note that you would put pin up on the board at the campground to let your friends know that we'll be back, we're at the beach, and these are the things that were commonplace back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s until cell phones became prevalent. We do have a couple of uh, phone Phone uh, callers on the line. Fergie is up first. Hi there, Fergie. How are you? Not too badly. You? I'm doing very well, Fergie. What's your memory on this World Radio Day? Peter Warren on the action line at CJOB. Yeah. You you liked it when he uh, would tell people to get on with it? Yeah, One of the straightest shooters out there. (laughs) Let's get right down to business. And we actually had a text here, Fergie, from a listener who said, my car was courtesy towed by the city earlier this year. They just needed to move my car without asking. When I left uh, for work, I thought it was stolen. When I found it, it was the city, and I had to walk an extra six blocks to find it. The first person I thought to call was Peter Warren, thinking that Peter might be able to help her out. She said she was so mad the city basically admitted that they stole it. She was in four-inch heels, and the first person she thought of was Peter Warren to work her out. So good job on that, Fergie. Have a good day. You too, Fergie. Thank you so much. Hey, one listener at 204-780-6868 is texting us saying, that was a pretty good relay. Oh, Peter. Welcome to CJOB. I understand you once worked here? I did some work with this radio station back, I would say, the nineteen late 1970s. Uh, I did some production work, and I have to say I sort of blazed the trail. Well, the trail didn't go very far, but I'm, I do have a disability. I'm completely blind, and I was one of the few people that ever did that kind of work. And one story I want to relate to you guys was it was a Jets game. Back in the WHA, Greg, I don't know whether you remember this, but uh, this was the last year of the WHA. The Jets had added some players from the Houston Arrows, and both styles of hockey just were not coming together. And I remember working a a game. uh, Ken Nicholson was doing play-by-play. Bob Irving was doing uh, between (laughs) periods. And I was behind the scenes. And I can remember, I think it was either the Birmingham Bulls or the Indianapolis, no, not the Indianapolis, or it could have been Cincinnati Stingers, one of those two teams. But they played bad, the Jets. And the post-game show was on. Ken Nicholson is in the dressing room interviewing players. And all of a sudden, I get this through my headphones. The Winnipeg Jets have fired their coach. Larry Hillman, and have yep. replaced him with Tom McVie. Yeah, I sure and remember I that. To, and I had to come on the air because it was quicker uh, than waiting to the commercial break. I had a mic in front of me, and I said, uh, Bob, we have to interrupt this. I just received a, a no, um, flash that the Jets have fired their coach and have replaced him with Tom McVie. Peter, that's great. Good for you wow. for, for being able to to do that. And thank you for sharing your story. And thanks for your service to 680 CJOB. Uh, Elaine, we'll, let's get your story quickly at uh, 204-780-6868. Hello? Hi, Elaine. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. I remember when I was a oh, little, little kid and used to be, come on, the happy gang. Let's get happy with the happy gang. <laughs> I remember that too. <laughs> 
<laughs> Good memory, Elaine. Yeah, because he used to sing it all the time. And when you're a little kid, you pick up on that, eh? Absolutely, you do. Thanks so much for uh, taking me back to uh, when I was just a tiny little guy. Uh, The relay system, just on text, was actually how I was able to let my parents know that they needed to call home as my grandma's health was failing and they needed to get back to Winnipeg prior to her passing. They would not have made it otherwise. Thank you, CJOB. Wow, thank you, uh... Thank you for sharing that with us this morning on this World Radio Day. We appreciate that memory. And you can share your memories by texting 204-780-6868. You can email brett at cjob.com or gmac at cjob.com. Tune to CJOB in Winnipeg. You'll find you'll never go wrong if you learn to croon this happy tune. It's 680 song. One, two, three. Time now for Three Things with Shanalee Vidal. And today it is Three Things About Red Tuesday. Sounds rather ominous. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg. Good morning, Shanalee. Are you ready to hear about this ominous day? To the left, to the left. Everything you own in the box to the left. That sounds like breakup music, doesn't it? I think I'm exempt from this, fortunately. I don't have to worry about this one. At least least I hope not. So tomorrow, of course, is Valentine's Day. People are going to give each other chocolates and hearts and get all lovey-dovey. But I don't want to talk to you about Valentine's Day. I'm going to talk to you about today, which is Red Tuesday. And Red Tuesday has to do with dumping someone or getting dumped by someone before Valentine's Day. So the dumper doesn't have to you know, fake it on Valentine's Day and pretend that uh, they, they really love you. And also, <laughs> it saves them a few bucks from buying you a gift. Yeah, yeah but there's lots of ways to look at that. And it's, it's funny, like, doing some research on this, I just assumed that um, you know, the number one breakup day would be the day before Valentine's Day, but Red Tuesday is actually the Tuesday before Valentine's Day. I just assumed it was called Red Tuesday because today is Tuesday and tomorrow is Wednesday. I just worked out this year. Just wor- it's just worked out that way this year, but traditionally it's just the Tuesday before Valentine's Day, whatever, sure, whenever sure. that whenever that may may fall. So it may be the day before, it may be like a week before, but traditionally it's the Tuesday that is the big breakup day. All right. So for whatever reason. So well, you tried oh. looking into the origin. I did. I tried, and I I did. I didn't find too much, but I did find um, about another Red Tuesday from like more than a hundred years ago. Oh, that actually refers to a series of devastating uh, bushfires in Australia back on February first, eighteen ninety eight, which I guess would be a Tuesday. Okay, so what uh, happened? So it was in uh, South Gippsland, Victoria. So 26, 260,000 hectares were burned. Over 2,000 buildings were destroyed. Uh, 12 lives were claimed. 15,000 people in total were, were were affected by this. So if anything, it might make your romance problem seem not so bad in mm, comparison. Puts things into perspective you know? without question. Exactly. Okay. And so you ready for number three? Let her rip. So, okay, you've changed your mind about breaking up with your partner, and, you know, there's a chance you could be in a panic now. Okay. 
because, oh my goodness, I didn't get them a present. It's the day before Valentine's Day. What do I do? What do you do? What do you do? Well, I think there's going to be a lot of people, a lot of last minute shopping going on today uh, and a lot of brainstorming of clever gift ideas, that, especially that aren't going to break the bank. Maybe I'll rephrase that. So what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> You hope that Jackie's very forgiving, but I'm mm. sure I'm sure you've got it covered. Hey, I got, I've got uh, I've got almost 18 hours here. I'll be all right. So okay, so well, here's a few things that you can do in case you, you need some help, Greg. Okay, I'm listening intently. Okay, okay. So our own CJUB's Kyle Milroy said he and his wife Kimberly actually celebrate Valentine's Day after February 14th. You know why? Why? Chocolate is cheaper to get that 50% off okay. chocolate. And All also right. the restaurants are going to be less crowded, right? Very so, good point. so it does kind of make sense. And you're kind of making the day your own. Mm-hmm. So it actually can be even more romantic. Not sure that's going to go over <laughs> my house. Anything else uh, up your sleeve? Okay. Well, if you want to do something really cute, you can get a bunch of uh, little chocolate kisses. Yes. And write on each uh, run, like make a little tiny note and fold it up really, really small. Write something nice about your partner, something heartfelt, nice and kind. And then, and then kind of tape it to the bottom. And then so they pull a kiss and they get a nice little sweet love note from you for months. I can't believe for a second you came up with this one on your own. Where did you find I, this? I, I actually did this. I did this for you my You did this. Wow. V, v of the self-proclaimed dark heart did this? <laughs> yes, I did. I did this. Wow. I yeah, and the he, black, the cold black heart is just—it's a, it's a it's sham. It is a sham. He only ate like two of the kisses, and the notes are still there. <laughs> so sad. But for, I think for a romantic, more romantic couple, it might work. But, you know. So you have to pick your place. You have to decide whether or not you're actually in a relationship where the person on the other side would appreciate such a gesture. Is that what you're telling us? I, I think so. Okay, so good. So if, if maybe that doesn't work, maybe yes. here's something that that could work. All right. Just stay in. Spend some quality time together. It's not gonna, you're not gonna break the bank, and you could really sell it. Cause here's the thing: you make some fancy hors d'oeuvres. Maybe you have a movie marathon, and super important, okay? Put away that cell phone. I think that's a really nice idea. You can keep it out. Of course, you, you want to take like an Instagram picture of you guys having so no, much fun. No. You know, take one picture, take one picture, post it, put no, it away. No posting. Don't put, post anything. And don't be playing your video games. Don't be checking on your Star Wars game every five <laughs> minutes on there. Don't be checking Facebook. That sounds don't very be specific. Your very specific. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> It may or may not be. It's very specific. I I may be drawing from from some some close source material. I like it. I like it. Playing a board game. Playing a board game is is an idea too, right? You know, you're in for the night. Board games can be super fun. You can also invite uh, another um, cost. A couple wants to be cost effective and have like a couple's Valentine's board game. I don't know. I think that might be crossing (laughs) some lines there. You might want to be careful with the whole inviting somebody over on Valentine's Day. Or, you know, you could just stay in and just do whatever comes to your imagination. You could stay in and watch uh, Big Brother Celebrity Edition on Global TV. I actually watched some of that last night. And the new hit drama 911. Which I, is also on Global at uh, nine o'clock tomorrow I have not, night. I've not seen it, but I was actually I have to say I was impressed by Omarosa. <laughs> she had to be pulled out of the house for asthma treatment. Yeah, 
Yes. Yeah. So that's, that, that's clever planning. Yeah, that's unprecedented, I think. And, you know, all this talk about Red Tuesday, and it just makes me think of how the, the lead up to Valentine's Day really is probably a, a Valentine's Day massacre for many people as relationships come to an end. That reminds me of uh, 1999. There was a World Wrestling Entertainment pay-per-view called St. Valentine's Day Massacre. What were they thinking? Stone Cold Steve Austin took on Vince McMahon in a steel cage, and then the big show came out and made his WWE debut. Well, well, it's the big show. There, there was a real Valentine's Day Massacre, right? You know that, right? Wasn't it in Chicago? Don't look at me. I don't know the answer to that question. I know the answer to a few number of questions, but uh, that's maybe, one not on the list. Maybe this one can be part maybe of your three things tomorrow. It just might be. And yeah, you, that's a spoiler alert. Tomorrow's three things is going to be three things that oh, have to do with Valentine's Day. Oh, it's not a spoiler alert. Uh, come back and find out <laughs> about the real St. Valentine's Day massacre. Shannon Lee Vidal, three things heard every day right here just after 8 o'clock news with Jeff Braun. We have... Special guest in studio with us right now. Someone we've been looking for a reason to bring back for a while, and turns out she found a reason and reached out to us. Her name is Downtown Peggy, website downtownpeggy.com. Not to be confused with her friends down the hall, at Peggy991, Peggy at 991. So, Downtown Peggy, hello yes. there. Hi, thank you for having me. So, you've got an event coming up on Friday afternoon. So I do. If any, then here's the, the pitch, I think. If you're looking for a reason to get out of work early, heading into the long weekend, yes. Downtown Peggy has something for you. What I is it? I sure do. Okay, so here's what it is. I'm doing a fat bike tour. Okay. Um, we pick up fat bikes from uh, White Pines at the Johnson Terminal at the Forks. Uh, from there, we're going to go all along the Red River Trail on the Red River side. So taking in Temple of Lost Things by Guy Madden and the other uh, warming huts that are along the way. And then we'll bike back, warm up for a little bit by having some soup or something delicious at um, Old Spaghetti Factory. And from there, we'll go and explore the Assiniboine side of the trail and all the warming huts and beautiful things, which goes all the way to Arlington. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll stop at Rendezvous on Ice. It's their first day that they're open is Friday. They're doing a breakfast in the morning, but we'll be there for the afternoon portion. So we'll go there, chill out, literally have some dinner. Um, and they, actually, they also have fat bike demos and different demos of winter sports. So they have a snowshoe demo and a skiing demo as well. So we can participate in that. There's yoga on ice at 5 o'clock. Oh I know, right? It's like so great. I'm really looking forward to it. The weather's supposed to be warmer, minus 8. So that should be practically tropical. <laughs> um, and yeah, like I just think it'd be a really fun time. You get to hang out with me. You get to hang out with <laughs> Stefano Grande, who's the CEO of The Biz and our our head guy. Uh, great person. Super fun. Very knowledgeable about anything that's going on. So if you have questions about downtown or anything, it's a great way to get to us. Uh, a great way to get Stefano's ear. And just for those yeah. that maybe are having a hard time picturing these bikes, are they the ones with the really big fat tires? They are. I'm a, I'm literally obsessed. It's a year and three days since I ever rode one. And a few short months later, I had to buy one. Like, they are incredible. Um, you can pretty much go over anything. It's like the bike version of a tank. On ice, they have great grip.
grip as long as you're not doing anything silly and like skidding or anything like that because then you go down as I found out myself. Oh, you have some <laughs> scars? Uh, yeah, the first week I had the bike, I don't, I looked like someone had beaten me up because <laughs> I was just feeling really brave on the bike and I'd go whipping around corners on ice and then it wasn't a good scene. But now oh, I've got boy. it all figured out and I can help you figure it out too and you'll be fine. It basically floats over um, ice and snow and it's really incredible to, to be on a bike like that in the middle of winter. Well, we do see, there, whenever I go out for a walk, I always see at least one person on a bike on fat tires. It's probably often, me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, typically it's a larger male that oh, I okay. think. Uh, so unless you have a, a rather interesting costume that you like to wear. Well, I, I do have, actually, it's like a floral ninja outfit. It's thermal, and it's got a hood, and then I put, like, a balclava around, and, like, all you can see is my eyes. So um, it's not really great for surprising people when there's snow everywhere, but it looks really cool. Well, it matches your <laughs> overall motif. Downtown, for those who are not in the studio, which is basically anyone listening to this, downtown Peggy is wearing a pink sweater, has a black skirt, white boots, and on your black skirt were pink elephants? Yeah, they're called tipsy elephants. Oh, pardon me. They're drinking a martini. Oh, Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I wear this outfit on a lot of the tours that I do that involve drinking, and I just thought it was super appropriate for today. (laughs) Were you anticipating that we would be drinking in the studio today? I do see that box over there from uh, the liquor mart, so (laughs) I don't know that I'm wrong. Yeah, there is is a gift waiting for me at my desk. Uh, It is, uh, oh, the witty Belgian from Torque. favorite. Oh, we love Torque. I love Torque. Yeah, fantastic. Oh. I actually do have a gift for you guys, speaking oh, of which, because I heard it was World Radio Day, so I, I made it look like I got them from Starbucks, but I baked them myself and then <gasps> wrapped them by Starbucks oh, so you sweet, wouldn't feel Peggy. really bad. No, oh, sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. There's one each. There's right. one each. You can pick the pink one or the white one. I judge not. Like you're talking gold medal Tuesday. Caitlin Laws, John Morris win the gold medal. Yeah. We get pizza. Beer and cookies. Yeah. I know. And we're supposed to be on the air for another hour and 20 minutes. I, I think maybe we should just end the show now. Well, you know Can what? Can it get any better? Also, Friday, you should just end the show and come on my fat bike tour because really all the cool kids will be doing it. So how does one get signed up for the fat bike tour? Thank you for asking. Actually, I do have an event page on Facebook. So if you go to my downtown Peggy page, there is an event. Um, it's called Rendezvous à Velo because we want to tap into the French part of it. Was stopping at Rendezvous on Ice, of course. Um, or you can go to um, my other website, which is downtownwinnipegtours.com. Go to the bottom. It's bikes and brunch is the top uh, the category they're under, and then pick February 16. It sounds super complicated, but it's actually very easy. Or you can just message me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, and I will tell you and give you a link. How much is the tour? The tour is $50, um, which includes your fat bike rental, which um, we get a deal on, so it's less than you would get for the amount of time that we're using it normally. Um, It includes food at the Old Spaghetti Factory, which will be amazing, and it also includes your food, your dinner at um, Rendezvous on Ice as well. That's terrific. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be a really great time. All right. Well, Downtown Peggy, thank you so much for joining us to tell us about this. Again, if you want to get an early start to the long weekend, just don't go back to work after lunch. Go see Downtown Peggy instead. Yeah, just say, you know what? I need to hang out with Downtown Peggy. They'll be like, sure, do it. Our conversation was decidedly serious uh, with regard to a verdict in the 
trial of Gerald Stanley that came out Friday night in Saskatchewan. Conversation all weekend in our community across the country, demonstrations, um, conversation, discussion with regards to how could this be? A lot of people wondering whether this was a, a just result. The Prime Minister has been criticized for weighing in on this decision by the courts, by a jury. And we wanted to get some answers with regard to jury selection amongst another variety of questions as it pertains to law. And we're joined now by Dr. David Milward. He's Professor of Laws at the University of Manitoba. He joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Milward. Thank you for this. Okay, good morning. We uh, should probably start with the whole idea of jury selection and, and how it occurs. And pardon me, this terminology that we often hear about a jury of one's peers. Is that a Canadian sort of standard or is this something that's been borrowed from the movies, American law? Where, where do we get that from? Uh, it's been used centuries in common law jurisdictions originating in Canada. So it's not by any means a novel idea. So what does that mean exactly? And maybe you could walk us through somewhat the the jury selection process uh, and and how a jury is picked. Okay. So initially, you start off with a large pool of prospective jurors, and a courtroom during a jury selection process is packed with hundreds of people, and each come up one at a time for consideration of making the final call for jury. Now, part of the process is that both the Crown and defense uh, get an equal number of what are known as peremptory challenges. In the case of secondary murder, it would be 12 each. Now, the thing with peremptory challenges is that either side can use them for purely strategical or tactical reasons. They don't have to justify or explain themselves to the judge or anyone else. And this has been the subject of a lot of historical uh, criticism by the Aboriginal Justice Inquiry and as well as the more recently the Yakabuchi Commission that Aboriginal peoples will be a minority in the prospective juror pool, but any time an Aboriginal person comes up, uh, the side that doesn't want them will use that well under their peremptory challenges to knock that Aboriginal person off. So the few that are left in the pool are pretty much automatically excluded. So the criticism is certainly that Gerald Stanley was tried by his peers, other non-Aboriginal Saskatchewan residents, but was did that jury include people that Colton Bushy and his family could consider their peers, other members of Aboriginal communities in Saskatchewan? And there's an exclusivity issue there. So does this result now indicate that Whatever this uh, jury found, does this become precedence in law right across the country in Saskatchewan only? Tell us how uh, this decision by the jury may have uh, an effect in other jurisdictions, if at all. Well, because it's a jury verdict, it doesn't really have a precedential value in its own right because it's a factual determination by a jury. However, I do have a bit of a concern there that if other reported cases are any indication this accidental gun went off defense, that's very often a tough sell in front of juries and murder trials and other cases. And But a point of concern is that skepticism was simply not present during this trial. Now, we're, we're hearing mixed reports of whether or not it was, in fact, a completely all-white jury. Uh, we're hearing reports that they, that some of the Indigenous candidates for the jury were uh, were 
essentially said or shown the door because they were openly speaking that they wanted to convict. But the whole process is seems to be rather secretive. And it, it, is that by design that we don't know who or at least what uh, what this jury was was actually made up of? Uh, yeah, there can be a certain amount of uh, concern in that respect. Uh, now, the thing is, this sort of thing can take hours. And the fact of the matter is, you know, if uh, if prospective members of the jury were actually speaking in that way, uh, that could actually be a basis for not just peremptory challenges, but challenge for cause where a juror member, prospective juror members are overtly displaying a certain preference or bias. But on the other hand, you actually did have members of Colton Bushy's family who sat through this whole thing. And from their observation and experience, any time an Aboriginal person uh, came up for consideration, the defense lawyer without hesitation whipped out the peremptory challenge. So without hesitation, regardless of what might have been said or not, it was yeah. almost an automatic in the view of, of many observers. Yes. So when we look at this this system, is it, is it time to to revamp this? Can we even guarantee that the the pool of potential jurors is represent is representative of a a certain population and a certain population percentage or mix of of uh, certain uh, types of people, whether it be ethnic background, their religion, or otherwise? Okay, that is a certainly a complex question. I can understand the calls. Uh, to get rid of uh, peremptory challenges. Uh, but the law as it is now, the Supreme Court decision of Coco Pueyes says there's, that there's nothing wrong with the system. As long as it's thoroughly random, uh, you don't need a definite representativeness. Now, to get move in that direction where people have to come from certain segments of the community, that would require legislative reform. But that in itself is a complex question because if you just say certain members have to be uh, from the same background as the accused or the victim, uh, there's some cross currents against that. I mean, sometimes people don't want to serve on juries because they are individual business owners, their businesses will fall apart or they'll lose their jobs. It'll have a real effect on their lives. And sometimes prospective jury members do get excused for reasons of hardship. And add to that, you know, many Aboriginal peoples in Saskatchewan uh, live in rural communities that are considerable distance from urban centers, and it could be a real challenge for them to be part of a jury. So there are some cross-competing concerns, and it's a complex question. If you are going to go into that direction, yeah, you just can't do it as a knee-jerk reaction to this individual case. It's a question that needs to be explored and studied thoroughly. Dr. David Millward, Professor of Laws at the University of Manitoba. You mentioned the word, uh, as long as it's thoroughly uh, random, I believe is how you put it. What would happen, and I, I think I know the answer, but I'm just going to roll with this in, in, in any case. What would happen if it was truly random and the Crown and Defence had no say in the jury? If it was just they, the people were picked out of a hat and that's the jury? Um. Chances are that in some trials, you might at most get one or two, maybe even three Aboriginal persons on a jury of 12. And even the odds of that not happening are great, but simply because, you know, you call upon things like electoral lists and property owner lists and sometimes health registry lists. But even during that thoroughly random process, Aboriginals would still be a minority in the pool, so their chances of getting on are still pretty slim. It's when you couple 
That reality with the use of peremptory challenges is that you pretty much have an ironclad guarantee that Aboriginal persons are not going to get onto a jury. Dr. Millward, thank you for this. We have lots of other questions, but as usual, the time is uh, against us. Uh, I'd like to do this again sometime. Lots of sure. uh, conversations to be had about the justice system and and questions that I think we believe we know the answer to, but often realize that we're, we're not exactly as well-versed as we thought we were or we'd like to be. Okay, no problem. All right, thank you very much, Dr. David Millward, Professor of Laws at the University of Manitoba. is the voice of Zara Larsh, who is the assistant production manager at Royal MTC. I didn't know you were going to sing, too, so that was a real pleasant treat. That, you have a magnificent voice. You have Thank watery you so eyes. Your eyes are leaking. <laughs> really? Yes. There was a, well, my spine is tingling. The hairs on the back of my neck are standing. There is something powerful about live music. And uh, Zara, thanks so much for coming in to visit us this morning. This is a this is a wonderful opportunity to meet you for the first time. Your maiden voyage my maiden on voyage. radio, so we appreciate uh, sharing that with you. But you're here for a really cool event, the launch of a play, and uh, also something called 100 Guitars, although you were gracing us with your banjo skills there. It's actually a banjo lele. It's a hybrid instrument. I'm sorry? A what? <laughs> a banjo lele. So it's a banjo and a ukulele combined to make a beautiful little instrument. Wow, my grandfather would have loved one of those. I bet. So welcome to the future. So you're here to talk about 100 guitars. Yes, indeed. And, and the, you brought a banjo lele. Well, the, we've actually been getting a lot of emails about the event because a lot of people are really excited. And uh, a lot of the questions are, can I bring my ukulele? Can I bring my banjo? Can I bring something else that maybe isn't a guitar? And I think 100 Guitars is the title of the event, but it's really the idea of having so many people share this magical moment of music. Uh, for those who haven't heard, uh, we're actually going to have uh, over 100 guitars playing Falling Slowly at MTC altogether. If you just go to the website, rollmtc.ca slash 100 guitars, you can sign up. I was one of the first to sign up, actually. Good for you. <laughs> it's a really exciting experience. So it's going to be at noon this Friday, the 16th. Uh, essentially show up a little bit early because we're hoping to get over 100 guitars. And uh, we'll be joining uh, the lead actress and the lead actor, Jeremy Walmsley and Amanda LeBlanc, in singing the title song Falling Slowly all together. And this is for the musical Once, which uh, makes it, uh, does it premiere this Thursday? Or did it premiere this past Thursday? We open this Thursday, this coming Thursday. Okay, so Once is might be something that's familiar to, to film fans. This was Initially a movie, right? An Oscar winner, if I remember correctly. Uh, actually, the, the the song from the musical that we'll be singing, Falling Slowly, won an Oscar about 10 years ago today, actually. The movie came out in 2007. So. And actually, if you were, I think, and sorry, this is just coming back to me now, it, it's a duo, and when they were accepting their award, they I think they let the guy speak, and then the woman went to speak, and they cut her off. Yeah, the traditional then, Oscar music. <laughs> and then they, I think, actually went to commercial and everything, and I believe they came back and then let her finish. Oh, oh that's so really? lovely. I don't remember that. I think it was something along those lines. I'm, 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 the pieces of the puzzle might not be fitting together properly, but it was 
something along those lines. So that's where I know once. So tell us about once. Uh, once is the story uh, of two people, a guy and a girl, who meet on the street. And he's playing music, and she's absolutely inspired by him. And they actually just share a connection through music and decide to create an album together. It's a story about playing music together and just having this connection through songs that this man has written. Um, and it's a tragic love story, actually, at the end of it all, but oh, really great. impressive oh. musical feat. Every single actor in this play, there's a cast of 14 and they all play instruments on stage while they're singing and dancing and can, acting with conviction. It's a really impressive thing to see. Of course, we've just come from hosting, come from away, a sold-out run at MTC that Brett and I were both uh, fortunate enough to see. And the energy in that cast, in that production, was incredible. I can only imagine adding now musical musical instruments to a cast of 14. It must be an incredibly powerful experience. Yes, we're really happy that this is following it up because a lot of people have come to me and say, how are you going to follow up Come From Away? Well, this delivers and more. This is a really well-structured, beautiful musical and a really intimate tale. I think it can connect with almost anyone. So you have quite a lovely voice. Thank Are you. you one of the 14 cast members no, for no. once? No, actually, I'm the assistant production manager at MTC, so I do a lot of behind-the-stage work, and uh, I'm just lucky to actually be able to absorb all the shows the way that I do. Are well, you looking to transition? Sorry, Greg, we're stepping on Greg's toes here. Are you looking to, to make the transition to the front of the house to, to be on the stage? Uh, only on this Friday. I will be first in line for 100 guitars. I want to be right up there with those actors. It's going to be a really Incredible experience. All I was going to say, Brett, was it's apparent that uh, it's uh, everything that's going on at our Royal MTC is leeching into Zara because she is. Uh, and, uh, your performance is, is was spectacular moments ago. We'll have you play us out in just a moment. But 100 guitars. I saw the video from Toronto from last year, and they ended up with close to a thousand performers, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, that is correct. And I emailed Megan at Royal MTC and I said, "Do you guys have a back?" cup uh, facility because you know Winnipegers you're asking for a hundred you might get a thousand uh, we're hoping to get a thousand I would love to beat the Toronto numbers to wouldn't be that honest. be something it would be something else I think Winnipeg has the stamina and the musical it's a musical city it's really impressive I actually haven't lived here that long and I've just been totally washed over where are you from I'm from Quebec originally actually fantastic from yeah. how long have you been here I started uh, this position in September, so it hasn't been that long. But I've seen I've seen some really hot days and some really cold days here so far. But <laughs> lots of yeah. heart every day. Yeah. Well, welcome to Winnipeg. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for joining us. Uh, so RoyalMTC.ca is the website if you want more information on once the musical as well as the event 100 Guitars. Zara Larsh, assistant production manager at Royal MTC, will be on stage this Friday for 100 Guitars. Guitars, and you can join her as well. And Zara, why don't you play us out as we get ready to check your forecast on CJOB? I don't know you, but I want you all the more for that. And words fall through me, and always fool me, and I can't. And games that never amount to more than they're meant will play themselves out.
Brett, why don't you welcome our next guest? I've been welcoming welcoming him all weekend. I'm kind of tired of this guy already. Well, Scott. That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. Scott from uh, from San Diego is here. I and, am uh, back. Third visit. Third. This is your third visit. Third visit. Know? July, October, and now. Wow. Mm-hmm. And how many victories have you seen? Because I know that uh, you're the last I'm game. I'm one and one with the Bombers, okay. and I in Winnipeg. I am one and one with the Jets. However, I am. Well, I'm also one and one. On the road with the Jets. I don't know if you guys, for those of you that follow me on Facebook, I was in San Jose when they won that quick overtime victory against the Sharks, and then I went down two days later to Anaheim when we lost in that shootout. See Bummer. how he talks? See how he talks? It's we. He's oh, a Winnipegger. Yeah. Scott Morgan. He, he lives right. in San Diego. That's right. You may know the story about how he came to be a Winnipeg Blue Bomber fan when the Chargers left San Diego. He was looking to Ooh. adopt another team. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, exactly. And Scott, and, and really what sealed the deal for you was this idea that, that Winnipeg identified with the whole idea of losing a professional sports fran- franchise. Right. And as I've described it uh, to many people, of course, because a lot of people are into this story, they just are, is uh, the fact that the NHL up here in Canada is like what the NFL is to us in the States. So the NFL is really the, the number one sport that people follow and have a passion for. So I knew you guys would get it. You know, um, I, I just can't imagine, now that I've been here especially, what you guys went through in the 90s when the Jets moved, of all places, to Phoenix. I mean, now you see what that franchise is doing and, you know, they ought to move to San Diego, frankly. Now, is there has there been any talk since the Chargers left? Like, uh, any possibility that there may be uh, the return of the I've NFL? Heard, I've heard small rumors, but the thing is, we don't have a stadium. We don't have a population that's going to vote for a stadium. I would, of course, that'd be a dream come true for me, but I don't see it happening. But I'm not. I'm not in the know. But I just don't see it. If if there was any momentum on a facility, possibly, but. You know, the, the stadium currently sits on a site that's quite large, and the uh, university, which is just down the road, San Diego State, which has got a student population of in the tens of thousands, it's a large school, um, is looking to buy the place, you know, level the stadium, build about a 30,000-seater, which is not NFL standards at all, um, and uh, and then build other buildings, which are probably going to be student housing and other things all geared to the university. So you're here on a, on a fitting day. Uh, it's CFL Free Agency Day, and yes. I sort of made your day yesterday you when sure I sent did. you a text message because your favorite Blue Bomber re-upped with the blue and gold Mr. Fogg. about uh, 18 hours ago. That's right. I have multiple favorites, by the way. But yeah, I, I like uh, Kevin Fogg's a cool. I, I, I love the guys that can make these big, exciting plays, like you know, returning you know, a, a punt for a TD and that kind of thing. So uh, I was very excited, and I know today's a big day. We'll see who who signs where. Now, so. now your loyalty to the Blue Bombers is is true blue. Super Bowl Sunday, you get a lot of action on your Twitter as it pertains to uh, uh, anything <laughs> to do with Winnipeg. But uh-huh. you and Gregory, your son, yep. who we all fell in love with last summer, yep. uh, everybody was wearing Blue Bomber gear even on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> That's that, right. Like the this is this isn't a facade. This isn't a joke. No, nope. the Blue Bombers are your football team that's and the right. Jets have become your hockey team. That is right. That is right. Now, I'm going to share a little story with you too that's so cool because everybody's everybody's really into this. In fact, I don't know if this is going to be the July trip um, but the whole family does want to come up for a Blue Bomber game. You know, and I got a big family. Uh, but get this, my wife's uncle, and he's like an uncle to me, Uncle Pete, 84 years old, is all into this. <laughs> and I have a picture but of course we're on radio, but I mean he actually he, he called me and said, Scott, I want this like this jacket from the Bombers. She's got a jacket now that says Winnipeg. The guy lives in Bellingham, Washington. You know, he's all into it. And he wants to come, too. He wants to come, too. 84 years old. You know, I've got people. 
I need to, I need to be hired by the Manitoba Tourism Board. Or whatever <laughs> <I call it>. <laughs> <laughs> You know. <laughs> well, you know. Scott Moreland, uh, you know, I, I, I can finally, you mentioned uh, Public Enemy earlier. Was it Don't Believe the Hype that you said? It's a sequel. I believe the hype. Scott Moreland, uh, <laughs> your real, your enthusiasm and passion is infectious. Well, and well we, thank you. And, well, I'm, uh, I'm a lucky man. I'm lucky to have met all of you. Well, and thanks for popping by this morning. It's nice to finally get to meet you. Great to meet you. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. My goodness, what a relaxing song. Thank you, Behind the Glass, Jerry. Let's say hi to one of our friends, Director of Marketing at Boston Pizza. Andrew Shevchuk is here, one of our favorite guests. Why? Because he brings food, and we love to be fed in the morning. Mackley McGarry on this Gold Medal Tuesday. Andrew, always a delight to see you, and uh, with or without food, it's always a... A pleasure to get some time with you, but a very special day coming up tomorrow. Thanks for popping by. Yeah, thanks very much for for having us. Uh, tomorrow, of course, is Valentine's Day. And Almost forgot. So thanks for the reminder. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, a lot of uh, spouses checking and saying, "Oh, great!" Um, so uh, with Valentine's Day, as we do every year, as we've done for years, you can come into any Boston Pizza, get your heart shaped pizza, um, and a dollar from every heart shaped pizza sold across the country goes to Boston Pizza Foundation Future. Pro- prospects that supports charities that support kids this has taken on a genuine life of its own like when i was in the restaurant business it was sort of understood mother's day was the busiest day of the year i know that's a busy day for you but valentine's day is now your busiest day Oh, absolutely, by far. Um, everybody seems to want a heart-shaped pizza for dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Uh, you can call 925-4111. And uh, the great thing about it is uh, when you're doing that, uh, the good cause that you help really supports mentorship programs. And what that is is... Um, juvenile diabetes, kids help phone and big brothers, big sisters are all charities that we support that really provide a mentorship to kids in need. Now the, the heart shaped pizza is a tradition that goes back to 1980. How much money have you guys raised? Yeah. 24 and a half million has been raised and, um, it's really rewarding to see the great work that some of these programs do through the boss pizza foundation. Um, uh, speaking with the people at juvenile diabetes. Diabetes Research Foundation, we've seen the older kids that have been dealing with diabetes for years provide mentorship to younger children that have been newly diagnosed. Dorothy Ross, they do a fabulous job at JDRF here in uh, Manitoba, and uh, we're really pleased to support that. You know, Andrew, uh, we've known one another for quite a while now, and I've always marveled at Boston Pizza's commitment to community, but I think you take it to a whole other level in this marketplace, and I mean that genuinely. Why, Why is this so important to Boston Pizza in a corporate sense, and for you personally to be involved on this level, besides just being uh, open for business? Yeah, I mean, um, we really believe um, our group, part of the Enright family that um, has 16 of the Boston Pizza uh, restaurants here in Manitoba, proud to open our uh, 16th in Charleswood. Um, we've been so successful in the community, Really, we really feel that uh, it's incumbent upon us to give back and help out. And um, this is really nice to be able to see the net effects of some of that money raised with the charities that we deal with through the Boston Pizza Foundation. Um, and 
And you know what? Valentine's Day, being a restaurant person as as you've been um, over the years, it's a lot of fun to work. Um, a couple of things I just want to mention. Today we've got our uh, number one uh, signature gourmet pizza, the spicy pierogi. We've brought the rustic Italian. And um, we also have something new this year, our triple chocolate mousse cake, because we know that uh, on Valentine's Day, you might want to get a sweet for your sweetheart. And um, a dollar from that also goes to charity. So um, Boss Pizza this year hopes to raise uh, well over half a million dollars. So- well, Andrew, we commend you and your organization. Uh, Boston Pizza, we know, is the Canada's number one casual dining brand. More than 390 restaurants, and all those restaurants are going to uh, bring in a lot of money uh, for a good cause this year. And I'd be remiss not to mention, you can also pick up your uh, red paper Valentine hearts. Get out your Sharpie and write a message to your sweetheart or your kids. Uh, they're only a toonie, and 100% of that goes to charity. Come out for a heart-shaped pizza, and uh, have a great Valentine's Day. Pierogi Pizza, the number one pizza in the chain. Or just in Manitoba? Oh, it's number where number one everywhere. I love it, Andrew. Thank you for this. We appreciate it. Thanks. Have a great day. Happy Valentine's Day, Andrew Chefchik, Director of Marketing with Boston Pizza, once again telling us about the heart-shaped pizzas. They're back, and they brought some in today. The rustic Italian, the spicy pierogi, which is apparently their top-selling pizza across the chain, as he mentioned. And they even brought in their uh, chocolate mousse dessert, which uh, is quite delicious. How do you know it's delicious? I may have. Had some. Really? There's still some left, though. I didn't take all of it. You're, you're a team player, Brett. Yeah. Hey, uh, heart-shaped pizzas uh, get cut up into pieces, right? You don't want to eat the whole thing all at once. Yes. There are I know where you're going. <laughs> there are some th- songs that we think of as being old-fashioned love songs mm-hmm. that, if you dig a little deeper, aren't exactly what they appear. To get you ready for Valentine's Day tomorrow... Since a lot of us are going to be thinking about love songs, 680 CJOB's Cal Milroy here with some songs you may want to think twice about. Ah, yes, Valentine's Day, that special time of year where you serenade your significant other. You could sing your own song, but I would recommend you use someone else's. Wait a minute, isn't that a breakup song? Okay, this whole love song thing is a bit of a minefield, so I'm gonna walk you through it. Here are some other songs to avoid February 14th. Crackling Rosie by Neil Diamond, yeah, it's a love song uh, about a bottle of wine. Nope. Martha, my dear, written by Paul McCartney. It's about a dog. Not bad. You could probably do better. Okay, Jet by Paul McCartney and Wings. That's more like it. A love song about a pony. Ah. There She Goes by One Hit Wonders. The Laws. A beautiful love song, except it's definitely about heroin. Okay, there. The One I Love by R.E.M. Love is right in the title. Nope. It's a jilted ex-lover song. Okay, this song is a classic. Police every breath you take. Told from the viewpoint of a stalker. I'm Brad, he's Greg, behind the glass, Jerry, and Tristan Field Jones. So there you go, a brief summary of just some 
of the songs that you should probably avoid this Valentine's Day. It is the thought that counts, certainly, but next time you're listening to a song with your significant other, just be sure and check the lyrics. Signing off with love, I'm producer Kyle. You remember the song Lightning Crashes by Live? Of course. That was a song that had was adopted uh, as a ballad by many a young person that really? year. Really? Well, it, read the lyrics. I know. It was what, just one of those dumb things. Uh, oh. And I was, I'm guilty as charged. Really? Well, that was my graduation year. I was <laughs> 17 years old. Okay. Uh, so when everyone's out on the doing the slow jam thing, oh. you got to get on, on the action regardless of whether or not it's alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last Beautiful chance song. for romance. Time to slow it down. That's, a, that's exactly <laughs> what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to the lyrics of that song. You don't want to be dedicating that to anyone uh, at all. Whoa! Quick draw McGraw behind the glass, Jerry. Good. Thanks to behind the glass, Jerry, Shadowleaf Vidal. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB. And then, and then, and then,